Well, it's good to see you this uh, week after Easter. We uh, trust that you had a, a wonderful uh, time of uh, remembering the Lord's sacrifice and then celebrating his resurrection. Uh, it was a tremendous week last week and so glad that you're back with us today. Um, we are here today to talk about prayer. And as I was thinking about prayer I, I, and studying, I came across some children's prayer. Now, my wife is around here somewhere. She'll correct me if I'm wrong. But I remember when our, some of our little ones, there was one of our little ones, our grandchildren, I can't remember which one, but uh, when we have dinner, we, we sometimes ask them to pray. And uh, so we asked, I think it was Huxley, our, our little boy, and he said, he's praying for the, for the meal. Oh God, oh God, oh God, in Jesus' name. <laughs> I remember that, and I just remember the, the prayer of our children is so special. God knew exactly what was on his heart. Maybe he couldn't communicate it the way we do, but he certainly prayed. And there's some other ones that I came across where one little child said, Dear God, my mom tells me that you have a reason for everything on earth. I guess broccoli is one of your mysteries. Uh, yeah. Dear God, I, I need you to make my mom not allergic to cats. I really want a cat, and I really don't want to ask my mom to move out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dear God, can you get me a smartphone? Santa must have forgotten. Well, oh well. How about this? Dear God, when will my sister stop being annoying? I'm down to my last patience. Uh, you know, children pray and uh, they, they learn about the relationship with God through prayer and some of their prayers are right on and some of them, they're growing and they need to learn. But as I, I started to think about prayer, it came out of the thought that uh, as Jesus was crucified, buried, and then was, uh, rose again, there was a lot of prayer going on of all those disciples, especially those 11 disciples and the families around them that had for three years spent every moment almost with Jesus. And God's plan came to fruition and they had to pray again like they've never prayed probably ever before that. And I realized that for a lot of us as believers, Christians, uh, prayer is a challenge, isn't it? Would you agree? Prayer sometimes is a challenge for us. It is, maybe even we would call it an area of weakness. We are wanting to be stronger. We, we are frustrated oftentimes and even disappointed with our prayer lives. Do you really feel that way? Because I put my hand up and I, I say that. I do. And so today, let's go to the one who knew how to really, really pray uh, the one who uh, had an understanding of the absolute importance of prayer and how to pray with power, and that is our Savior, Jesus. He knew how to pray. And if you've got your Bibles, turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. And uh, we're, we're going to read verses 1 through 5 here um, as, as we read it. Uh, just soak it in and just understand that Jesus, was go he knew in advance of his disciples' need to be praying, 
the, the power that was involved uh, in praying, and he knew that we would also need to know. And so what he does here, he answers a question, uh, and the question is simple, Lord, teach me to pray. That's what the disciples said. He was praying, and, and they said, Lord, we want to know how to pray. And I, I bet you what they meant is, teach us to pray like you, Lord, Teach us to pray like you. And so in Luke chapter 11, uh, we listen in on probably one of the most important pieces of scripture for us in a practical, everyday kind of way. Uh, And it is a sample prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. And it says in Luke 11, 1, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not to temptation. Lord, teach us to pray. Now, you also know that Matthew holds this same passage, Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 9 to 13. And so you may want to take some time uh, re-reading uh, that as well and uh, see how they uh, coordinate with each other. But here, as we lead, uh, read the Lord's Prayer, um, we might note that it's quite brief. Uh, and over the years... I've been in a few situations where prayers have not been that brief. Have you ever been in an old-fashioned prayer meeting? How many used to go to Wednesday night prayer meetings when we had them? We didn't have small groups. Okay, yeah, quite a few in this room. And was there ever one in your group who had uh, the spiritual gift of long praying? Yeah, you know what I mean, don't you? It'd it'd be their turn, and, uh, you know, they'd pray, and all of a sudden, you'd see little eyes poke open and go, I wonder if I'm going to get home in the next hour. Some people just love to pray, and they go on and on and on. And, hey, listen, that's all right, uh, you know, but uh, I would encourage that in group prayer, not praying from Genesis to Revelation, because uh, that's a long prayer. But if, if you feel like a long prayer is good, take it. That's That's the rule. But uh, I just remember those days, but I remember most fondly being in a group of people who just poured their hearts out to God. They sincerely and authentically poured their hearts out to God. And uh, you just sat in that group and you went, this is good to be in the family of God, to be amongst people who want to talk to God and do it together and on their own. But when you look at Jesus' prayer, Jesus' prayer, if you, if you read it, probably takes about 30 seconds. Now, when we talk about teach me to pray in this day and age, probably someone is going to put a seminary course together that takes eight months to go through and uh, uh, a lot of money to be involved with. But Jesus kept it simple as he always did. He, he prayed and gave us a template Not that we have to pray the exact words, but he gave us a template, an example. As a matter of fact, if we look at Jesus' prayer as we will today, we will see five characteristics of the the Lord's Prayer, which should be characteristic of our own prayer. Five characteristics that I think should be in our prayer life. And the first one is the Lord's Prayer is focused on 
the Heavenly Father. Our prayer should be focused on the Heavenly Father. It says, our Father. How often do we come to our Heavenly Father uh, and distinguish this aspect of who he is? We really focus in on the fact he is our Heavenly Father. Uh, this focus is backed up by, moting, uh, by noting how many times Jesus refers to the Father when he says, your, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's all about talking to the Father and making him the focus of our prayer. It's about his will, his holiness. 70 different times, 70 plus different times in the New Testament, you'll see Jesus refer to God as the Father. The Father. And I really think this speaks to, first and foremost, a powerful and intimate relationship that we should have and that we should be like children before our God. Now, I know some of you may not have had good home lives as you grew up and the, your father may have not been the greatest example of what a good and holy father should be. But our heavenly father is a perfect example, isn't he? Our, our heavenly father is the one that we should look to um, be, uh, be like for our children. In the way he handles us, we should handle our children. And when we go to our Heavenly Father, we should seek God as a child would seek uh, um, uh, a loving, caring, and providing and protecting Father. And he will do that for us. He has done that for me. And I'm sure you could testify to the truth of the Father being a loving, protecting, guiding, and caring Heavenly Father. And it, it really is about understanding our identity in Christ. Isn't a much of our Christian walk and our faith about understanding who we really are in Christ? That we are not of this world any longer, but we are just passing through. And our real relationships, our eternal relationships that matter, are now with our Heavenly Father and us as eternal brothers and sisters in Christ. And when you received Jesus as your Savior, God became your Father, and we have a new family, a wonderful family. Uh, Romans 8, 15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Abba. Daddy. Papa. That's what it means. Our dear Father. Receiving Christ as Savior does not only bring freedom from the punishment uh, that is required for our sin, but grants us adoption into the family of God. Do you ever just stop and just think about that? We've been adopted into the family of God. This means we have a relationship with God now. Before you were in Christ, you may have gone to church, you may have prayed, you may have even uh, you know, given to God's work. But without Christ, there's no real relationship. It's, it's a false pretense that we're acting on. But having received Christ, now we are truly 
in relationship with the Heavenly Father. We can approach him without fear. We don't need to use fancy words. We just, like children, come before him and say, Father, I need to talk to you. Will you just listen to me for a second? Because I got some stuff. And I need your I need your wisdom and I need your word to help me understand your way. So first and foremost, we say our Father when we pray. Secondly, we say, hallowed be your name. This, this is huge. Think about this. Hallowed be your name. This is getting an even better, more proper perspective. Yes, he's our Father, but he is holy. Sends chills down my back to think of how not holy I am in comparison to how absolute his holiness is. This is Jesus' progression in his teaching. He's reminding us to reflect on who are we talking to. Yes, our Father, but the holy God, the holiness of God. May we never forget that he is infinitely holy. His name is holy, which simply means everything about him, his character, all of him is holy. Isaiah gives us this, I mean, technicolor, wonderful, rich picture, an amazing sense of the holiness of God. Let me read Isaiah 6, 1 to 5. Isaiah 6, 1 to 5. And just think about this. In the year that Uzziah, King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When we approach God with the proper perspective, we we should be just like Isaiah who says, woe is me, for I am a man, I'm a person of unclean lips. And we see, a, we see our lack of being holy in light of God's awesome holiness. So when we consider the fact that our God is our Father and he is holy, does it not clearly speak to the truth that I need to become like him? I really do. That's my life's desire, to be like the Father and to be like Jesus and be led by the Holy Spirit. When I was uh, uh, born and, and raised, many of you know my story, uh, I was adopted. I was adopted into the Buttron household. And my earthly father, Stan, is now with his heavenly father. And uh, I look forward to uh, chatting with him uh, one day again and... Uh, and getting uh, some advice that uh, I wanted now and say, what would you have done? And hopefully I did what he would have done in life in many, many cases. But the th interesting thing about Stan Buttron is, as I came into the family at three years of age and uh, onward, so many people would come to us and say, oh, 
Alan looks just like Stan. He acts like Stan. He is so much Stan. And my sister would scoff at that, first of all. She says, looks nothing. He's ugly. My father's handsome. Come on. No, she never said that. But yeah, because I spent so much time with Stan Butcher and as my father, I, I, I kind of melded into who he is and who, who he was. And maybe I did start to look a little bit like my father until I lost all my hair and then that blew that whole thing out of the water. But when I think about my heavenly father, I need to become more like him. I want people to see a resemblance of the heavenly father, my heavenly, of Jesus in me. That brings me more pleasure to know that I am starting to look a lot like Jesus, a lot in the characteristics of my heavenly father. 1 Peter 1, 14 to 16 says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. That's where we're, that's where we're headed, folks, as believers. That's where we should be headed, to reflect the holiness of God in our actions, in our attitudes, in our speech, in our loving, caring personalities. And as we pray, we always need to remember the example Jesus gave us that reminds us that our prayers should always be focused on God, our holy Father. Secondly, uh, the Lord's prayer is focused on God's kingdom. Now think about this. He's talked about our Heavenly Father and and his holiness, now he talks about God's plan. His kingdom, your kingdom come. Second part of uh, verse two. And, and this is a great truth that is often missed in Jesus' example of prayer. And that is, first and foremost, we must pray about and for the building of God's kingdom. You realize that? What are we, do you ever hear, there's so many people are asking, What's my purpose? What's my life to be all about? Our Father, who's in heaven and who's holy, is building a kingdom. Did you know that? You know, we don't talk about kingdoms nowadays too much because in the day of Jesus, there were definite kingdoms with kings and queens and all that. I mean, around the world, monarchies are fast fading but the reality is God is building his kingdom and the gates of hell will not prevail against it we know this Jesus said that but do we keep it in our minds and our hearts that every day we wake up we're in the kingdom building business with God prayer should never be about asking God to do my will but it is about bending to do his will. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. What are we praying when we pray this? We're praying for God to have his way in this life of mine and in this world around it. It's not about me and my little pretend kingdom, and sometimes we do that, don't we? We live our lives like we've got these little fiefdoms, little kingdoms, 
that we're building. It's not about that. It's about building his kingdom. It's all about his majestic and rightful rule in my life and this world. Because there's nothing that can compare to the kingdom of God and his rule in it. The Apostle John wrote a lot of the New Testament, but Revelation uh, chapter 21 uh, says it so well. In Revelation 21, uh, John writes uh, in verse 5, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Okay, so we had that picture of Isaiah, of God on the throne. Well, John carries on that, and the one on the throne, God himself, the, the heavenly father, the holy one, is making all things new. But the question is, how will it be new? We'll look just a few, couple verses before that, in verse 3 of Revelation 21. He says in verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. What will the will change when the kingdom of God is fully realized. I see a couple things in that little passage, that brief passage. One, as a deep and close relationship with our heavenly father will be realized. Right now, we enjoy that relationship. Can you imagine what it would be like when Jesus rules on earth? And Revelation and several other New Testament books is all about him coming back. He is coming again. He's coming to rule as king. And the dwelling place of God, verse 3, is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. But also the full and final healing of God will be realized. How many of us have aches and pains? How many of us have diseases? How many of us have woes and our tears are, are flowing? Listen to what it says again. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Do you look forward to that? Amen. I do. When all that hurt, all that pain is now a former thing. We need to be praying to God about seeing his kingdom come. Well, the Lord's Prayer is focused also on the needs of life. It's okay to pray about these big things. God, the Holy One, our Father, is building this kingdom. But he's also saying in his prayer, give us each day our daily Bread. It's the basics of life, isn't it? Bread. And that's what he's saying. We are, it's okay. Pray for the, da the daily basic needs of life. Now, some have said, is this talking spiritually or is it talking physically? I don't care. I think it both is seen in this section of the, of the prayer. Praying for physical needs and spiritual needs on a daily basis. Jesus said in John uh, 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Okay, 
the, the emphasis probably should be on the spiritual because that's more important than anything. And Jesus said, you know, whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall not. Have you come to Christ? Do you believe in him as your Lord and Savior? If you do, spiritually you'll never hunger, you'll never thirst again. And you'll be on track to be a kingdom builder with God. I hope you've received Christ. Uh, Every one of us needs physical sustenance. There's no doubt about that. But we also need to partake daily in spiritual food. You know, if we're all to eat once a week, um, our bodies would begin to suffer. Maybe for some of us it would take take a little longer than others. (laughs) But, But we would eventually... It's not enough. It's not enough to eat once a week. Too often we try to do that with our spiritual lives, don't we? We maybe eat on Sundays, so to speak. We come, we hear a message that hopefully encourages and draws you into uh, a relationship with God for the week ahead, but it's not enough. We need to crack open that word and, and be nourished on a daily basis. Do you have a plan to eat? I know in our family, we usually eat breakfast and dinner, and sometimes we sneak in a lunch. Do you have a plan for spiritual nourishment on a daily basis? Maybe a little bit before you head off to work. Maybe some more when you come home from work. Maybe a study plan, and you're, you're studying about certain things in the scripture. You've got a plan how to go through that. Maybe you're buying some good books about God's good word, his book, to help you? I hope you are. Give us this day our daily bread should be a reminder that we, not, uh, we need not just eat physical food on a regular basis, but we need to consume spiritual food. Like, you know, bread. Years ago, you had to bake bread every day, didn't you? Because there was no preservatives like we had. In Jesus' time, they would break, bake bread every morning. And that would be for the day. And the next day, that bread was probably bad. And you wouldn't want to eat it. And so that's where I'm encouraging. Do you pray for your daily needs? Do you take time to ask God for uh, his kingdom to come and uh, to honor him as father and holy each and every day? Do you pray, Lord, give me strength that I need to meet and face the challenges of this day? Because his grace and his strength is not for tomorrow, it's for today. Give us this day our daily bread. Give me today the sustenance from your word that will help me to get through to the end of this day. When we begin to forget to ask God for our daily bread to provide, Uh, we actually start to think that we can provide it. We can meet our daily needs. And when we begin to believe that we can manage our daily stuff, maybe it's little stuff, maybe it's, you know, stuff that you think, oh, God doesn't need to be involved with that. I think uh, we'll just give God the big stuff. When we start to think that kind of way, I think, I know for me, I am in danger of letting pride take over. And I say, God, when I need you, I'll call you. But when we are taking to heart what Jesus said, we need God every moment of every day, and we need his kingdom to be worked out in my life and in the world around me. And that takes an intimate and daily relationship.
The Lord's prayer is focused on needs of life, daily spiritual needs of life. Fourth, Lord's prayer is focused on forgiveness. I'm so glad Jesus put this in his template, his example of what we should be praying, how we should be praying. First of all, he's saying in this prayer, uh, and forgive us our sins. So he says, first and foremost, we need to seek forgiveness for the stuff that's in our life. After we've sought the basic needs, we need to go back to the basics of our spiritual life and say, Lord, I need you to forgive me because I have failed you. And every day, there's something in an attitude or an action that I need to say, Lord, sorry, I shouldn't have been like that. Shouldn't maybe have done that. And so here, he's reminding us to come before God and to, to seek his daily mercy. His mercy to be clean and free from the weight of sin. We are, as believers, cleansed from the punishment of sin. We will never go before God to be punished for sin, but we do have to be cleansed from what sin does to us. It holds us back from being all that we can be and should be in Christ. We go to God and ask him to liberate us from the the burden, the crippling burden of sin, uh, the self-inflicted damage that sin causes in our lives and maybe causes in others' lives as we sin against them. Forgiveness of sin is the greatest need of the human heart. Do you believe that? It is. Without forgiveness of sin, Through the work of Christ, we will never have a relationship with God and never have an eternity with the Father. But because what Christ has done, uh, and we receive him, he cleanses us. 1 John 1.9 talks about the cleansing work that Christ did on Calvary that we get. For if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that a great, great... Have you memorized that verse yet? 1 John 1, 9. Memorize it. Allow it to be a part of your meditation. Because only God can grant us pardon from the punishment and guilt of sin. We know our failures, don't you? We, we, we know our failures well. But more important, we should recognize that he knows our failures. And he wants to help cleanse that palate of sin in our lives. And yeah, maybe it's not, it's not big sins like the ones that we might think are horrendous and awful, but even a, a misspoken word that's not true is sin. We need to be cleansed from that. Maybe an attitude that says, I'm better than that person. We need to be cleansed from that attitude. We need to go to God and, and deal with our sin. I love what Romans 8, 12, 1 and 2 says. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's, it's, a, it's an identity, again, an identity verse. Uh, in Christ, there's nothing that condemns me for he's cleansed me. It says in verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You know, here, our four pillars are that 
we would help people to know God, to find freedom, to find freedom, to be set free in Christ, to discover our purpose, kingdom building purpose, and then to make a difference. That's what we're all about here. And I think the Lord's prayer, his sample prayer, helps us to recognize we're on track with what our mission is here. Not only do we need to seek forgiveness, we need to grant forgiveness. Now it gets a little tougher. A little tougher here. The petition to be forgiven has a prerequisite. Did you, did you think about this lately? There is a prerequisite for our sin to be full and, and, and across the board. Jesus says in his prayer, forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is in, indebted to us. We need to be forgiving people as we have been forgiven. Someone has said an unforgiving Christian is a contradiction in terms. Let that sink in just a bit. An unforgiving Christian is a contradiction in terms. Those coming to God to seek his wonderful mercy of forgiveness will only truly experience it after they have forgiven others who have sinned against them. Yes, we can come and he forgives us, but we really fully realize that and understand it and, and sense it when we start to say, I've got some unforgiveness towards this person. I need to forgive them. Maybe you need to go to them and deal with it, but first and foremost, in your own heart, you need to say, I'm gonna let it go. I'm going to forgive them in my heart for that thing, that whatever. This whole little, little verse here is like Jesus took the bar of life and raised it right up here, isn't it? Because now we have to go that extra mile, as he said, 70 times seven. We need to forgive. Let me ask you this morning, has Christ completely forgiven you? I hope he has. Have your sins been washed away? I, if you've received Christ, they have been. Has your debt been paid? Again, if you received Christ, it has been. Uh, that's what happens when you're a child of God. But let's, let's move one step further and get really practical. Is there anyone right now who comes to mind that you need to forgive? Full stop. Anybody in your life that you're holding any bitterness towards, where you remember they've spoken to you in a way or done something to you that has offended you, and you're holding on to that. There's someone that you need to extend grace to. My wife and I had a, a good chat about this topic of grace this week, that in our lives we want to be people who resemble the Father by offering grace to others, to be gracious believers. That our church family, us here today, and those who are watching live stream, that we might be grace-filled and grace-giving people of God. The grace of God is so wonderful. We've experienced it. How can we then not pass that grace on?
Jesus gets very practical in, in the passage before in Matthew uh, chapter 5. Uh, he says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you, you, you leave your gift before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. This is where you know somebody has a problem with you. So what's the gracious thing to do? What's the godly thing to do? Go to them and say, I think we need to work some stuff out. Hey, I've done it many times, you know, where, uh, you know, they, another person has been offended by me or I feel offended by them. The best thing I ever did was to follow Christ's example and be gracious and seek to reconcile the relationship. This should be the cry of, uh, of every believer. I want to be clean in my relationship and I want to be fully engaged with God as a holy father in his kingdom building plan. Well, lastly, the Lord's prayer is focused on personal protection. He says, and lead us not into temptation. Again, the cry of our heart for every believer should be, Lord, help me when it comes to sin and the temptations that are out there each and every day. I mean, you can't go anywhere without probably experiencing some kind of temptation. You know, you see billboards every day that are inappropriate, boom, right in your face. TV, right in your face. And it's, it's a temptation, isn't it? Temptation to do that which is not uh, helping us to be clean and um, to be kingdom builders. We're every day faced with the decision to be honest, pure, uh, upright, have the integrity and the characteristics of our Holy Father. Uh, the Greek word translated temptation into English is really talking about a test or a trial. It could be read this way, and lead us not into trials and test or testings, but deliver us from evil. The prayer is, please, Lord, keep me out of the hands of the evil one. Do you pray that every day? I promise you that probably there's not one person in this room who's prayed that every day this past year. I didn't, but I need to. Every morning when I wake up, my prayer should include... Lord, this is going to be a, a good day because I'm offering it to you. I'm offering myself. So keep me from anything that would lead me away from being right on track with that narrow path that you have for me to be clean and free in Christ. Keep me from temptation. Will God answer prayer like this? Do you think he will? I do. Uh, even Paul did in 1 Corinthians 10, he says in verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So nothing you experience is unusual. Everybody gets it. God is faithful. Isn't that interesting? He goes directly to the heart and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I know this for sure that God always provides a way of escape. It's just, will I take it? Will I step away? Will I make sure that I don't put myself in that area of temptation? Sometimes we have to do drastic things to say, I know that I, am, uh, I have a tendency to sin in that area, so I gotta get rid of that area as much as possible. 
And right now you all are thinking of various areas of temptation and I'm saying to you, you figure out, maybe you need help, maybe counsel might be a good thing from a Christian counselor to help you get some real good tools, but there is always a way of escape because God said it through the Apostle Paul. When you're faced with the seduction to sin, look for the way out. It's there. He never leaves us alone when the temptation to sin is there. Think about this. When sin, when we're tempted to sin, God is right there with us. For he dwells within us. Spirit's right there saying, I've got a way, let's go. Will we listen, heed, and step away? Well, there's so much more to say about the Lord's Prayer. We, we could spend several weeks in it. But because we just got through the most heartbreaking yet exciting point in the life of the church, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and we see that the young church that was just beginning had so, much, so many challenges ahead, what did they do? They prayed. That's why we're talking about this today. Remember that? That's where I started. So let's remember the Lord's Prayer is focused on our Heavenly Father, on His kingdom, on the needs of everyday life, on forgiveness, and on personal protection. Will we be Lord's Prayer people? Let's memorize it, but then let's use it as a template where in our own terms, in our own language, we come to God and we pray focused prayers like Jesus has taught us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together today. You indeed have given us a tool, a clear and very simple tool that is found in this sample of what, how should we pray. And so help us to be praying believers. Help us to really um, focus on the right things. And most of all, as we pray, May your name be lifted up as holy and Jesus Christ be lifted up as the Savior and the Holy Spirit as the one who gives us strength and direction to be kingdom builders for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.